Welcome to Cordell and Cordell's Men's Divorce Podcast, moderated by managing partner and CEO Scott Trout, bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce, and everything related to family law. This podcast is not to be taken as legal advice, and no attorney-client relationship is established. Hey, welcome back to the Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of Cordell and Cordell. And as always, we're bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce and all things related to family law. As always, if you need a consult, give us a call, 866-DADS-LAW. Find us on the web, cordellcordell.com. We're joined by a repeat guest and a Cordell and Cordell attorney in South Carolina. Welcome. Hey, Scott. Nice to be here. Hey, thanks for joining again and good topic. We haven't talked about it. Uh, this is a first on our podcast and virtual town hall. So it's a great topic for guys because they don't want to miss out on PIs. It's a, often a question on what do they do? Should I get one? What, to what extent are they useful? What can I use them for? You know, the, you know, the best one is how much are they going to cost? And that is a, that's a Pandora's box to begin with. So let's talk about PIs in family law. Kind of traditionally, what do you tell clients that generally, either in your experience, um, either on your side or in your case or on the other side, what are they used for generally? Right. So I think that if you would ask most people what they would expect you to say as far as a PI is concerned in a family court case is going to be the obvious finding evidence that a spouse is cheating. That is usually the, the gut reaction if you bring that topic up to anybody who's been through a family court case or not. And that is a, a very good use of them and, and probably the, uh, that is the truth as far as what people use them for most often. And, and it can be a very, very powerful uh, tool, especially in, in South Carolina, for example, at least um, in our state, if a spouse is proven to have committed adultery, they cannot receive alimony, period. It's an absolute bar to alimony in this state. And all the other factors that usually go into an alimony case, like the party's respective incomes, their earning capacities and things like that, don't matter because they've committed adultery. So, you know, you can think that just sort of the exponential savings that you can uh, create by the use of a PI to prove adultery um, in a case yeah. like this, if you spend a couple thousand dollars, but you're saving many, many multiples of that, and that's, I mean, that's the traditional, I think, perspective of what a PI is used for in a family court case. But there are um, a lot of other, I think, more interesting and sort of alternative ways that they can be used if attorneys really want to be creative and maximize the value yeah. they can get from PI. Well, it's such a unique, I know Georgia at one point when I practiced there, they had the similar prohibition that if you were to be able to prove marital misconduct, it would be a prohibition to spousal maintenance or support, which I think is fantastic. We don't have that here in Missouri, and I wish we did. And I think, as you said, I mean, it's well worth the investment, you know, and I don't know about South Carolina, but there's no formula in Missouri. Typically, it's open-ended lifetime maintenance unless they die or remarry or unless it's terminated and terminating is is often difficult to do so I mean, if you're going to drop a couple thousand bucks and you're on the hook for a couple thousand bucks a month and you know I, i'm going to want to hire a pi if i think there's some sort of evidence i can collect i mean it's just that's a no-brainer to me i agree with you and that's the same thing that i tell clients too is if for example you know even if you're paying i don't know a hundred dollars a month in alimony, which is probably unrealistic on the low end, but if you were awarded or you were ordered to pay only $100 a month for 10 years, 
-hmm. and you spent two or three thousand dollars to hire a private investigator and successfully use that PI to prove adultery, I mean, you've already saved, you know, two, three, four times the amount that you would have paid out in the future. I mean, and that's a very conservative example. Yeah. yeah you think about the savings when maybe you were ordered to pay $500, $1,000, $1,500 a month. I mean, it's the, the difference between the initial investment and the long-term savings is astronomical. Yeah. And, you know, along those lines of maintenance or spousal support, one of the things I know uh, I've used, and I'm sure you, and that is a PI to talk about the ability to work if they're working, where they can work. You know, they may claim I have a disability and I can't do anything. I am bedridden. I get a PI. Um, you know, this is often used in med mal cases by insurance or insurance companies, insurance defense, where they want to prove and decrease damages. So ability to work has got to be a big one. You're exactly right about that. And I've got, I actually started thinking about this in the context of family court from a, a very good friend of mine who's also an attorney, but practices mainly doing um, work that involves insurance companies, at least sort of indirectly, um, med mal to a lesser extent, but a lot of trucking accidents and um, employer, employee law, workers' compensation type stuff. And, you know, I started thinking if insurance companies are sending private investigators in big cases to see if somebody may be exaggerating or just outright lying about injuries that they sustain, why couldn't something like that work in a family court case? And I, and I think that it, that it can't. Um, I will say that I'm in the process of testing this theory out right now in a case that we have a, you know, a case where there's a spouse who, who claims there are certain physical reasons why they may not be able to work to a full capacity like they have in the past. Mm -hmm. And my client is telling me that's absolutely not true and that that spouse is out in the yard every weekend, bent over in a garden, pulling weeds, planting uh, vegetables, yeah. mowing the grass, things like that. So I think that if, if they're going, somebody's going to make what you believe to be an untruthful claim that they cannot work or that their working capacity is just diminished, um, it's again, just like the adultery issue, if you can spend a little bit of money on a private investigator that then saves you, you know, maybe it's not going to change your, your child support or your alimony to zero, but yeah. if it reduces it by 20% or 30%, again, the savings over the course that you would be paying that out is very, very high. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the very thing we tell clients all the time and that there are ways in our experience and, you know, with offices around the country and a couple hundred lawyers, 300 lawyers, we have these ways of, you know, to try and save. They're not absolutes, but they're positions to take to get you in the right position to achieve your goals. And it's funny, you think about this PI and they're all somewhat connected. We're talking about following someone or observing their daily activities when it comes to work, but you can use it on the flip side as it relates to custody to show, you know, you may have a, a spouse who says, yeah, I take them to school every day. I'd pick them up every day. I go and I stay for practice and, you know, I just don't have time to work. You could use that as a, what I would call a day in the life to kind of record whether or not they actually are doing what they claim they're doing. That's exactly right too. And again, just from um, another personal example of a case, I have a case where um, the spouse has been claiming that they are getting called out to work sort of unexpectedly for emergencies and things like that, which given that spouse's line of work wouldn't necessarily be a surprise. It'd be something that you would probably expect to happen relatively often in that field. But we had a private investigator follow that spouse to what they were actually doing 
And the actual example is saying, well, I can't go to our kids' baseball or soccer practices and games because I'm getting called into work. But what we discovered when the private investigator followed that person is that they were actually going and spending time with their paramour. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's obviously advantageous for our client in the context that you mentioned of showing that you're not really spending time with your children the way you say you are, and you're actually actively avoiding them to spend time with um, your paramour. But it's also sad in a way, too, because it really does affect the children. And that's something that you want a judge to be able to see when you're trying to paint your client in the best light possible if it is a contested custody case. You're saying, well, my client might not be a perfect parent, and pretty much nobody is. Mm -hmm. But I'm not also just leaving the children at the soccer field to go spend time with a paramour. You know, and it's a very powerful tool, I think, with judges who anybody can go to a hearing and just say, well, my spouse doesn't spend as much time with the kids as I do. So therefore, I'm in a better position to have primary residential Mm -hmm. custody of them. But when you have a private investigator's report, photos or a video or something that shows not only are they just not spending the time, but they're doing it with an adulterer, you know, a paramour. Right. It's a very powerful tool. It is. I mean, you think I've had a case where. We had a spouse, the wife was uh, going to strip club and working, getting cash tips, we, you know, not reporting it. It wasn't on the financial statements we had heard. So we had her followed, prove that up, then prove that, you know, what she did left the child at home, a nine-year-old at home by themselves while she's going to work at a strip club. All this seems, you know, we talk about using it for adultery, using it for custody, using it to show work. They're all somewhat connected. I mean, you could even go a step further, um, go into a bar spending time drinking so you could prove alcohol abuse or, you know, Hey, I'm not going to spend time with my kids. I'm going to go hang out at a bar and leave them home by themselves with no one to watch them. Right. That's exactly right too. I mean, I've been involved in cases in the past where um, one spouse might claim the other is, uh, you know, just drinking too much, whether they want to go to the, the level to say that it's actual alcohol abuse or what we call in this state habitual drunkenness, which is actually a ground for divorce. But it also ties in with the avoiding parental responsibilities to go do something else. And in this case, rather than spending time with a paramour, it's going to the bar and just hanging out and taking shots all night and just drinking. And then on the you know, sort of the backside of that, getting in a car and driving, which has you know a lot of other issues that come out of that. Yeah, drunk um, driving. I, exactly. Exactly. And it's um it's problematic too. I mean, judges certainly don't like to see that, especially if, if you're talking about who might be in a better position to you know, set an example for children or who's going to be there when an emergency arises in the middle of the night. Somebody who's, you know, in their house like they should be on a weeknight about to go to work or somebody who's staying out at two or three o'clock in the morning taking shots. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's another one of those things where um, the private investigator is helpful versus something like a bank statement that shows a lot of money being spent at a bar because a picture you know, say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, a picture is much more compelling evidence-wise than a black and white bank statement that just says Joe Smith or Jane Smith spent $78 at the bar last night. You're right. showing that video of them hammered, inebriated, and then getting into a car. That's obviously going to have a much greater effect on a judge. Yeah. I mean, in custody situations, you're 
you're trying to question their judgment, you know, and that leads in, you know, you're talking about going to a bar. I've had clients say, you know what? I suspect she has guys coming and going into the house. And I know of one who I think is a criminal. You want a PI to kind of record who's coming and going, who are they hanging out with, perhaps do a background check on people, felons. I've had that happen. Guy just got out of prison, you know, for uh, assault, you know, would insert a lot of time in prison. You want to know and use a PI for that, right? Absolutely. I mean, the type of people that a parent associates themselves with on a regular basis is very important for um, who the children may be exposed to. And the, the examples that you gave are very similar examples to what I've um, experienced in my own practice over the years is, you know, sometimes you have to use a private investigator as an attorney, honestly, to try to check behind your client and see if what they're telling you is maybe not quite as as bad as they say it is, where they say, well, my, my spouse is hanging out with these felons, like you said, or drug dealers, which was a real example from my practice. And you hire a private investigator and you have, you know, have them see what they can find and they can often find things like that. And, you know, and again, because ultimately you're looking at all of this through the lens of how is a judge or how is the decision maker, the fact finder in a court of law going to interpret this or how are they going to perceive this? When you show a spouse who's hanging out with people on a regular basis who, you know, they should know are not good people to be hanging out with, again, it's very compelling evidence. Yeah, I mean, I guess it is. And you think about all the things we talked about from maybe a client having some knowledge of, you know, adultery, some knowledge of coming and going and leaving the kids at home and alcohol abuse. I guess the most risky investment, we use that word, I'm using it intentionally, is when you don't know. And it's just see what you can find. But oftentimes it's like a treasure hunt. You may find that gold coin, um, but you know, there's caps. Like I'll tell my client, hey, let's put some money on there. Let's say, okay, let's spend X dollars. Tell your PI no more than that. That's your ceiling. And let's just see what you find. Because as you said, I think there are ways that, you know, it may be productive and it's a good use of your money to try to avoid in a state like South Carolina, where maintenance is a complete, you know, it's a bar. If you can prove some of these things like adultery, I think it's a really good use of your money. You're exactly right. And it's, and it is interesting that sometimes you, you may just have a feeling that there's something you're not seeing and maybe a private investigator can kind of fill in that gap for you. Just as a, another, you know, real world example was I was involved in a case probably eight or nine years ago at this point where one of the parties was suspected of committing adultery and a private investigator was hired to follow that person around and what was eventually discovered from that is that not only were they facilitating or, or having an adulterous relationship but to everybody's surprise it was a same-sex adulterous relationship mm-hmm. and that really made the case take on a different route because these parties had uh, children together and that was you know it, it wasn't anything that anybody expected to happen and it can just surprise you what you may be able to find out about people and what's going on Uh, when you hire a private investigator. And it's, you know, that conversation, I think the point why I thought this was such a a good conversation to have on a topic, and that is for clients listening or, you know, guys, have this conversation with your attorney because a good, you know, find a good one. Find somebody who's experienced, someone who's reasonable, talk about rate, talk about budget, because they're worth their weight for that investment, right? I agree with you. And I think that it's it's like a lot of other things where you can say that you, you do get what you pay for. And it's good to have a very frank and uh, expectation managing conversation with your client about it, too, because 
you know, most good private investigators are not what I would call cheap. However, they can be a lot less expensive than a client may think they are. And so it really does, um, I think, behoove anybody to really just sit down and have a conversation. And most private investigators that I've dealt with are very open about what their rates are and what they actually think they can do for you, given the factual circumstances as you explain it to them. And in my experience, again, they're very willing to say, listen, like, you can spend as much money as you want and I can do all this stuff. But if your budget is a little bit more modest, you know, if you want to start out a little bit slower and not just, you know, go all out at the beginning, that's fine. I can do this stuff for you. And then we can reevaluate it in a month or in two weeks or something like that, based on what I find and we can decide where to go from there. So it's not like you, everybody has to come up with $10,000 on the front end out of the pocket for a private investigator. There's, all levels of that. And, and again, like you said, they are in a lot of ways worth their weight in gold. You don't yeah. always find something that's useful or, um, you know, admissible as far as evidence in court. And it goes, it just goes without saying, you know, you should at least try it out if you think that they may be helpful for you. Yeah. And don't be shy or, you know, don't, you know, be just get scared by a, an hourly rate. It's like, you know, a carpenter who charges 100 versus one that's 200. You know, that 100 may take three times as long. An attorney who's at 325, and then someone says, well, I'm only going to build 225. They take twice as long to do the same task that takes one hour. You know, so you got to find the quality one, the one that we know that's done this before, that won't take as long to do the thing. So I think hourly rate in some instances becomes irrelevant, and it's one of those things you throw out the window. Um, you look at what the skill set they has. That's kind of when I talk about in, uh, interviewing attorneys those that have practiced exclusively in family law that have done it for a while. That's all they've done. So it takes them not as long to do certain tasks that otherwise may take someone who's at a far lower rate. So I think rate becomes irrelevant in its experience, as you said, finding good PIs is worth it. So Ryan, great stuff today, Ryan. Thanks for joining and uh, updating us on PIs. It's a good use that guys really should have that conversation with. So thanks again. Absolutely. Great to talk with you as always, Scott. Thanks. Well, check us out, CordellCordell.com. If you want to consult with Ryan over in Charleston, you can do that. Or any of our offices, 136 offices around the United States, including the United Kingdom, you can go to CordellCordell.com, 866-STADS-LAW, schedule a consultation, Zoom, in-person, phone, whatever's appropriate, whatever's convenient for you. You can check us out. Also, our YouTube channel. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, do that now. You'll get alerted every time we drop a podcast as we continue into 2022 and bringing you more information for guys before, during, and after divorce. So enjoy uh, the next week. Happy New Year. And until next time.